actually the Rambam the Rambam never really wrote a parish ala Torah that was directly written ala Torah such as the Ramban we're going to see the Ramban however the Rambam in his Mor Nebuchim does very often explain and expound upon certain sections of the Torah as part of an all-encompassing theme that the Rambam has to explain certain philosophical concepts or to explain certain mitzvahs of the Torah so there's a great deal of perish ala Torah so to speak that's in the Rambam Sefer Mor Nebuchim but because the Mor Nebuchim is a very difficult Sefer for people to learn and it's and it's a difficult Sefer in the sense that it's not necessarily according to modern methods of learning so so conducive to, to utilizing it besides the language and besides the fact that it's been translated from the Arabic and all of this as a result most people are unfamiliar with things that are in the Rambam or in the Buch. most people are rather unfamiliar usually the parts that they're familiar from are the parts that are excerpted from the Rambam and brought down in other very classical mainstream sources such as in this case the Ramban. The Ramban, throughout his Perish uh, Torah, runs a kind of a running commentary and dialogue with places that are pertinent to the parasha from the Ramban and Mar Nebuchim. This is one of them. So the familiarity that people have with this Ramban and Mar Nebuchim generally tends to come out of this Ramban that we're going to be learning. The Ramban brings down the Mar Nebuchim, the Ramban, and then he argues on it. And in this particular case, he's rather harsh and severe in his criticism of the Rambam. Although he treats the Rambam with tremendous deference. But the Rambam will be harsh in his criticism when he deems it necessary. Certainly that way with the Evan Ezra. With the Rambam, of course, he shows much more deference. But nevertheless, when it should be criticized, he does so. We'll also learn the, uh, some of the defenses of the Rambam as well. In fact, we'll see that when we examine the Psukim and everything else, we'll see why the Rambam said what he said, and that actually it's quite logical. So although the Rambam comes across first as being extremely controversial and, uh, and very borderline to, as I said earlier, the Apikors intend to latch on to some Rambams, and this will be one of them, we'll see that it's, uh, what the Rambam says makes a great deal of sense as well. So... Vayero Elov Hashem Beilone Mamre Hashem appeared to him. Who's him? Avram, of course. In the plains of Mamre, who Yoshev Pesach Olel Kachoyim Hayyim. He was sitting at the entrance of his tent as the day began to get hot. Vayiso Einov, he lifts up his eyes. Who lifts up his eyes? Avram. Vayar, and he sees. Who sees Avram? And what does he see? Behold, you have three men standing over him. Vayar, he sees. Vayorot, he runs, and he crosses them towards them. He pesach oil, vayishtach horts, he bows down. Vayomar, and Avram says. The next word, of course, I'm not sure how to translate or how to pronounce. It's a question as to if he's addressing the angels or if he's addressing Hashem. Because earlier we just said that Hashem appeared to him. So is he addressing Hashem, or is he addressing the one of the angels? What? Not clear. No, no, the word Aleph, Dal, Nun, Yud, Adon over here could either be referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
or to the angel where he's saying, If I find favor and grace in your eyes, don't pass me by. And then he offers he offers water to wash their feet, he offers bread, he goes to get meat, bakes cakes, and he serves them, and of course, the rest of it we know is the tremendous magnanimous nature of Avram Avinu's Hachmosis Orch. Okay, do we have any problems, first of all, with the possible? You know what, let's first take a look at the first Rashi. First Rashi, Vayero Elov, Levakiris Acholam. Says Rashi, Hashem appeared for the purpose of Bikr Cholam, to visit the sick. That's a convalescent call. Omer Abchama Barabchanina, Yen Shlishi Lumilosa Hoya, this was the third day after the Brismila. Avram Avinu was an older person. He had a Brismila in his old age. And the third day is usually when it's at its most painful and severe. So, who came to, uh, to inquire as to his well-being. It was a convalescence call. That's the first Rashi on this. Chazal, there's one more statement of Chazal. Which is that Godel Hachnos Zorchen Yosemi Kabos Pnei Ashkina. We derive from it that since Hashem appeared to Avram, and yet we find in the next pasuk that Avram goes to invite guests, we see that greater is the mitzvah of Hachnos Zorchen even more than communication with the divine presence. Okay, that's basically as much as we need for our purposes right now. Does anybody have any questions on the first pasuk? Hmm. Rashi said, based on the Gemara and what Rashi quotes over here, but the actual Gemara says, Mikan Shemimidas HaKadosh Baruch Hu Levakar Cholim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu visits the sick. And we learn from here that we should also visit the sick. Just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu pays convalescence calls, we should also do likewise. We should follow the Midas of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How do we know that Gemara in Shabbos, Kuf Zayin, says, because we see that Avram Avinu was willing to forego the Hakodesh um, Baruch who's appearing to him in order to do the mitzvah of Okay, now in the first place, how does Rashi know? How does the Gemara know that we're talking about Bikr Cholim what do we see in the Pasuk? Anything about Bikr Cholom? It says, Hashem appeared to him. For what purpose? Hashem appears for many purposes. What does it mean that Hashem appeared for the purpose of visiting Avram, visiting the sick? Didn't tell him anything. Didn't tell him anything. How do we know that it's, that it's a bigger mitzvah? Because Avram interrupted him. Is it taka the proper thing to do if Hashem comes to you and you're going to go say to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you know what? I got to do some achmas sarchim. I don't have time for you today. Is that the way? If the boss calls you in for a reason and you have a task that you have to do for the boss, could you tell him, "Excuse me, boss, I got a task to do, so I can't come in and, and have a meeting with you." The boss wants to have a meeting with with Avram. Hakadosh Baruch Hu comes to him. Excuse me, God, I have something more important to do than to talk to you. Even though, as respectful as you are in how you do it, but 
Kaka isn't it a little bit of a of a kind of a chutzpah possibly to, to say such a thing? And why would he do it? Why would he think that he should go take care of these these uh, three people rather than speak to Hashem? I would think that it's more important to to speak to Hakadosh Baruch Hu than to go take care of guests. Yeah, we learn from here. It's more important, but it sounds almost like an exaggeration. It doesn't really make sense to say that it's better to take care of guests than to have prophecy. It doesn't make sense. It's better to take care of your guests than to have prophecy. I would think that that's not true. So yeah, we learned from here that it is true. Attack I mean, Why? What's the shot in that? And also, why is it important to even make mention of that the appearance was Beilone Mamre? Hashem appears to Beilone Mamre. What is the point of mentioning the exact location of the appearance. It's unprecedented. We don't find anywhere else that it says exactly the geographic location precisely where Hashem appears to Avram. So why is Avram's name not mentioned? Why is it mentioned as to the exact location? Where does Rashi know that it's a case of Bikur Cholim and that's what Hashem appeared for and that it occurred after the Brismila. Who says that it occurred right after the Brismila? Right after the Brismila, Hashem plays a kind of lesson school. Where, where do we know all of that? And the idea that Achlos Sarchem is greater than than having Gili Shechina is also rather rather difficult to understand. Why the pronoun is being used over here? And even the question as to what exactly was this appearance all about. It says Hashem appeared to him, but then, then it doesn't tell us anymore. Comes the Rambam in Mary Nebuchadnezzar, and based on some of these questions, presents the following interesting approach. And that's also based on a few other principles that the Rambam says. Now the Rambam says something which here seems very controversial. But in other places, not at all controversial. For example, we find places where Hashem says that the api, my nostrils will flare, and I'll punish this person because of his sins. Does it literally mean that Hashem's nostrils are flaring? The truth is, even when we talk about a person. <laughs> Okay. But it's here, Mitzrayim, Yamazuka, yeah. and it's on So now, when it says that Hashem's nostrils flare, when it says a person's nostrils flare, does a person's nostrils really flare? No. Sometimes yes, sometimes not. The point isn't that the person is angry and his nostrils are flaring. The point is it's obviously an expression, a literary device to explain someone as being angry. So we know, obviously, that the Torah does employ literary devices. Seems to be pretty evident, and this doesn't seem to raise anybody's eyebrows when you say, "Oh, you're not accepting the Torah literally." Fear of the courses. How could not be literal? But we know obviously that things aren't literal. How do we know? There's a few other examples that are obviously not literal. Let's take a few other examples where we know that they cannot be literal. A few other examples when the um, spies came back, so they said that. The, we came to where it's uh, Canaan, and the walls of the cities are built up to the sky. Is it literal? Is it literal? No one takes it to be literal. Everybody understands that it's not literal. That's what they said. No, no, but everybody knows that even that they're using an exaggerated term. The term itself is an exaggerated term. 
the, we see all of you are the reading the product of a great deal that you've learned. You are taught that I for an eye isn't literal. I mean, I'm not interested. In the, right now, we're trying to figure out what gives anybody the right to take sukkim that the Torah tells us that we believe came from heaven, and we should allow our interpretation of it to be that it's not literal. Okay, again, we're the product of, you know, we have Tarshabal Peth, Tarshabal Peth tells us, but we're trying to analyze the psukim themselves. Ayin Tachas Ayin seems to indicate eye for an eye. Good, so the Gemara has all the kashas, but we have to know if we have a right because of our kashas, to make the Torah non-literal. So first we have to discover if it's possible for the Torah to be non-literal. If God is described as physical, with hands and feet, so maybe he has hands and feet that aren't literal. Maybe they're not exactly, or physical I mean. No, it's literal, but not necessarily physical. You know, we talk about an eye of a camera, and we talk about a human eye, so they're both called eyes, but they're different. But they're both physical, and it's both literal, but on a different sense. So maybe God's arms and legs and nostrils are, are something, but not exactly what we necessarily envision it, but maybe it's something that's there. But the idea of taking things out and saying that it's not literal, who says you have the right? Who says you have the right to take something out from the Pasuk literally? Because if you allow for such a thing, and you're getting dangerously close to what Apikorsim say, which is, therefore, we could interpret this as not being literal, and that as not being literal, and who says that Avraham Avinu actually existed? Maybe it's only a figment of someone's imagination as a literary device. Where does it end? Where does it start? Where does it end? That's a very, very major question, and that's really the essence of all of these controversies. What gives you the right b'chlal? Maybe we have to put a stop and say everything is literal. Because if the Torah says it, it is. Teretz says, we know that there are several places in the Torah where literary devices are used in an exaggerated way. Such as the passage I'm looking for, I can't find right now, where Moshe Rabbeinu in his review of what Eretz looked like, he said, Aten, Yodaten, you know that these were cities and mighty uh, nations over there, armed with those, the Torahs, Abba Shemaim, that the cities were walled and closed up, up until the very heavens. Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu was using a literary device. And the Torah was using a literary device because we all know that he certainly didn't mean that there were literal walls up unto the heavens. He meant very high. That's an expression that's used. You should circumcise the foreskins of your heart. Hmm. Obviously, that can't be literal. Right? That's, that's obvious. Everybody understands that. That the Pasuk wasn't trying to say that each person should literally cut open his chest, find the foreskin of his heart and cut it off. Right? So the fact is that there are many places in the Torah that force us to say that these are mere expressions that are used because we're talking about people. So that's point number one, that we have to, that we have to allow for, the, for this particular concept to exist, namely that not everything in the Torah is literal. But once we've taken that step, we now enter into very dangerous territory. Where does it end? So now, you are saying that, well, God can't be physical, therefore, but that in itself has to first be proven. So you first have to analyze, and that's what the Raman does in Moran Devuchim, that it's impossible, based on Torah concepts, based on Torah philosophical concepts, 
that Hashem should be physical. Therefore, once we've discovered that, we are forced into saying that all the places that talk of God as being physical aren't really, aren't really literal, but are rather figurative for the purpose of teaching us something else, or as mere expressions for the purpose of either as a literary device or as a way of being able to just verbalize certain ideas and convey certain things. However, this, this mode of thought could lead people down a very dangerous path. Ultimately, not in the generation after the Rambam, people took the Rambam as a model, and they did actually say what I said earlier, that Avram and Sarah weren't literal. Avram wasn't the real person. Sarah wasn't the real person. The war between the four kings and the five kings wasn't the real war. These are mere philosophical expressions of certain concepts. And the whole Torah is really just a metaphor for, for certain kinds of ideas that are being conveyed. So everything becomes nothing. And you know, mitzvahs, and there's no end to it. So obviously, we know on the one hand that it can't be strictly literal 100%. On the other hand, where are you going to stop? Where do you stop and allow for something to say, no, if you go beyond this, you're destroying the Torah, you're in apicars. Where does it end? So the truth is, there is some gray area. Comes the Rambam. The Ramban here brings down a very famous Rambam in Mar Now the Rambam in Mar takes things one step further. If God can't be physical, angels can't be physical either. The whole idea of having angelic beings to eat and to drink and to be perceived in a physical sense is really impossible. It's conceptually impossible. Angels are by nature spiritual beings. Spiritual things could be perceived through man's spiritual nature, but not through man's physical nature. So what do we do with this whole parsha? So we're going to say that this whole parsha is not literal? If you say that, then you run into the problem of, so where does it end? What is literal and what isn't literal? The Rambam actually says that the first Pesach, because of your kasha, is the clue that clues us into the fact that this parsha is not literal. Why is that? Because the parsha begins, Hashem appeared to Avram, and it doesn't describe for us what the appearance was. It doesn't tell us what happened. You never find that Hashem appears and doesn't convey a message. It doesn't say something. So what is this appearance? Where is the message? True, the appearance was interrupted by the angels, and the angels with Avram and everything else, but it never comes back and resumes to the interruption. The first Pasuk comes, everybody knows the first Pasuk, Hashem appears to Avram, and he sees angels, and he goes, and everybody forgets about the first Pasuk. Because we get so caught up in the story of what happens over here within Malachim, and with what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing with the angels, and the angels telling me Avram, and then the story of Saddam, and Lot. It's a very fascinating story. It was a very fascinating story. But whatever happens in the first Pasuk, it never gets back to it. So you never get back. One second, one second. So therefore, since it never gets back to it, we're left with the problem that you asked earlier, what happened? What is this Vayero about? It's unprecedented. 
comes the Rambam and says, this is what clues us in and allows us to now say that what happened subsequently is merely the details of a vision. Because the idea to say that all of this was not really happening is something which is very dangerous. It's borderline up courses. To say that this didn't happen, the Torah is not literal. But as I said earlier, there are certain parts that the Torah has to be not literal. The question is where, yes, and where not. So you need some sort of an indication. Says the Rambam, Vayero is the indication. It says, Vayero, Hashem appeared to him in a vision. And he was sitting on the thing, and then Vayiso, and we don't get back to it. That can't be. I mean, what does Hashem appear and do nothing? He appeared, and he's about to talk to Avram, and Avram says, excuse me, I got to do something else. Avram does something else, gets back to God, says, okay, now let's take care of business. What's the business that's happening here? Hashem just appears, and the Pasuk itself never concludes what it began with. Therefore, says the Rambam, that it's really just a generality, saying Hashem appeared. What was the appearance? Now we're going to detail the appearance. In other words, all of these things that are now unfolding and happening are all part of the Vayera. It's all part of the vision. Therefore, says the Rambam, everything else fits in very well. It's impossible for spiritual things to be physical. As such, what does it mean that the angels came and they ate? How could they eat? Teretz is all part of a, a vision. Part of a vision? What gives you the right to say it's part of a vision? The Torah already clues you in on this by giving you the first Pasuk as an introduction. That's how the Rambam learned this parsha. So, okay, so what we have here is three steps. Number one, we have the fact that, that the fact that the Torah does employ literary devices is not against the Torah to say that. It's not against the Torah to say that not everything is literal. Right. But we have many places where we know that to be the case. And that when you want to talk about someone being angry, you say his nostrils are flaring. Right? Hashem says in a fire is flaring in my nostrils. We know that it's obviously not. So therefore we know that you are allowed when forced to say that what the Torah says as being literal doesn't have to be literal. Secondly, we have certain beliefs that we have about Hashem and about what, what, what Judaism teaches us, that whenever we are based on those beliefs, forced to say that something else isn't literal, we're entitled to. And therefore, although the Torah never clues us in that Hashem isn't physical and Hashem isn't, isn't what the Torah describes as being physical being, nevertheless, because we know that that's part of our tradition, and although the Torah doesn't clue us into it, we are permitted and allowed to say that it's not literal. The third point is that if we have certain borderline cases, we could see usually clues from the Torah itself that it shouldn't be taken literally. So here says the Rambam is such an example. The idea that the angels ate makes no sense. And it doesn't fit into our belief in what angels are. And the Rambam again goes through trying to prove all these things. But as we've already seen from the problem of the first Pasuk, that itself will be the clue that what follows subsequently is not to be understood in its literal sense, but this is the general you know, theme of, of the vision. So therefore, it says the Ramban like this. Let's start from the top. Who be safer, Moira and the Buchim, Nehemiah, it says, Ki aparsha klau uprat. 
that the parsha is a klal and a prat, namely that Vayeroy of Hashem is considered a klal, a general opening statement, and then the next pasuk begins in the details of the prat of the particulars to explain how the vision unfolds. Vayeroy Allah tells you there was a vision, general statement. Vayisayinov is the beginning of the particulars of what the vision actually is. That was the vision. Okay. Omar Akosov Tchilo Kinirei Lov Hashem Maros Hanavua. The Echois Amar Azois. Then what was this vision? Namely, Ki Nosa Einov Bamara. That in the vision he lifted up his eyes, and behold, he saw in his vision three people standing over him. And he said in his vision, Im Nomotosi Chain Beinecho. This is all details of what he said in the vision. The vision took place in the form of a dialogue. This is what he said in his vision, in his in his prophetic vision. So now, now comes the Ramban and says, I disagree very strongly with the Ramban. Why is that? Firstly, the Imbamara if this was a vision, the vision was only of people eating meat and whatever else happened. So, and you don't start off by saying God appeared. It's not God appearing. It's angelic beings of God that are appearing. So therefore the Ramban is troubled with the expression of where it implies that God himself appeared. How could you say as a general statement when as the details unfold it's clear from the details of the Mara of the vision that there was no real vision of God so to speak there was no there was no um, revelation of God but it was merely seeing angels now the, the Rambam himself will see shortly the Rambam himself held that all prophets other than Moshe Rabbeinu had all of their visions occurring by intermediaries and therefore, although the Torah will say that God appeared, only Moshe Rabbeinu had that direct connection. Everybody else had to have some intermediary break. And that break is called the Malach. The question as to how to define Malach, we'll talk about it shortly, hopefully, about how to define the word angel. But the Ramban, who understands the idea of an angel as being a being, a spiritual being with a messenger, which certainly that's what it is over here, says that that can't be the meaning of Ayer of Hashem. Hashem is not, if you say that Hashem appeared, then you don't say that Hashem appeared means angels appeared. You say angels appeared. Hogor had angels appear. That's it. So you say the angels appeared. What you find by Hogor is it says, by saw Malach Hashem. It says clearly that a Malach meets her and speaks to Hogor and she responds, by Hashem. Again, it repeats it over and over again. So it says, "Vatikro Shem Hashem Hadover Eileo Ato Kiel Roi Kiyomer Hagamalam Luisi Achrei Roi Al Kain Kor Laber Beir Lachai Roi." So, in other words, she does refer to that episode as being a vision of God. So sometimes we find this ambiguity being used, where on the one hand you find an angel appearing, and on the other hand you find that it's as if God spoke. What are a few other examples of that? The very first vision of Moshe, the burning bush. So he comes to the burning bush. The Pesach says, 
Vayera Maloch Hashem Elov. So the Pasuk introduces it. A Maloch Hashem appeared in the flame of a fire in the bush. He sees the burning bush. Vayomer Moshe, let me go see this great vision. Vayara Hashem, Hashem sees Vayikor Elov Elokim Mitoch Hasna, and God calls him from the bush and says, Vayomer Moshe, Moshe, Vayomer Hineni. And it goes on, Vayomer Hashem, Ro Roisi, Vayomer Anochi El Keovichol, Keavrov El Keitzik, El Keyakov. So over there it says that there's a dialogue between Hashem and Moshe. Vayomer Moshe Olokim. And Moshe even asked, What name shall I say? Vayomer Moshe Olokim. Okay, I will say Shlochani. Mashmo, what should I say? Vayomer Olokim. Moshe, Eya Shereya. So you find that there's a dialogue there between Moshe and God. Yet it's introduced as Vayera Maloch Hashem Elov Labas Eish. That it was the Maloch that appeared to him. So which was it? Was it a Maloch or was it Hashem? At the end of this week's Parsha, we have over here the Akedas Yitzchak. And it's introduced in the following way. Hashem tests Avram Vayomre Elov Avram Vayomre Hineni Vayomre Kachlas Bichas Yichitcha Hashem tells him, go take your child and bring him up and sacrifice him. And it tells him the details. Yet, what does it say by when he's about to kill him? And an angel of God calls out to him from heaven and says, Avram, Avram, by your name. So who's communicating to who? Is it an angel or is it God? Uh, in Bilam, let's, let's examine by Bilam. So what do we see from here, says the Rambam, from all these cases? Bilam is not so clear. But it, we see that it's interchangeable. That sometimes... That, that's all part of it. Therefore, says the Rambam, based on the principle which he elaborates and he develops, that that Moshe is the only one who is the Pesach says so. Hashem tells Miriam and Aaron, says, you guys have visions, but Moshe is the only one that I speak to face to face. Therefore, Moshe is the only one that eventually reached the level of communication with Hashem directly. Everybody else has something in between. And therefore, from all these psukim, we see that sometimes it will refer to Hashem as speaking, but it will still be an angel. And sometimes it will refer to the angel speaking as well. That's the way the Rambam learns. That's his basic principle. As such, he's not so bothered with the Ram, Ramban's kasha. We'll see the Ramban has reason for his kasha. That it introduces the parish by saying, Vayero Elov Hashem. And subsequently, it only talks about Malachim. Ramban asks, why do you call this a Mara from Hashem if it's only a Mara of Malachim? To the Rambam, it's not such a kasha. Because the Rambam says, all Nevi'im other than Moshe always commune with Hashem by way of an intermediary. That intermediary is called Malach. Again, we have to still define Malach. There's a lot of different things that require definition here. In any case, this was the Rambam's kasha. Why did it say Vayer of Hashem if all he saw was a vision of Malach? We don't find this, this unprecedented. Now he goes down and he asks the other kashas. Something like what you were asking. According to the words of the Rambam, Sarah never really baked cake. Avram never really sacrificed the Ben Boko. Sarah never laughed. How did Sarah laugh? It was all part of a, a vision. So what's happening? 
There's too many details to this Mara similar to our dreams. In your dreams, sometimes there's one element of your dream which is true. And the rest is all there as just as just window dressing. You're all, you have a whole long elaborate dream. If you go to a psychologist, he'll analyze it and tell you, oh, one point. So what's the whole dream there? Who knows? It's Narish guy. He says in Chasom, you're turning a vision of Nevoah into the equivalent of a Narish dream where details are happening that are pointless. He tells in, his, in a dream, you dream and you tell your wife, bake 45 cakes. Okay, I'm going to kill the cow and I'm going to sacrifice it and I'm going to bring it and I'm going to give him tongue and I'm going to make it with mustard. In a dream you have this Narish guy. I mean, Hashem is appearing to him and he's giving him a Mara Nevoah. And in this Mara Nevoah, there's all kinds of trivialities occurring that are totally pointless. How could that be? What kind of mara nevuah is that? Is a mara nevuah that he served in tongue with mustard? That's a mara nevuah. If he actually did it, that's one thing. But if he didn't do it, he served in tongue and he gave them on, uh, was it on a bottle or was it on a rye? What, what, what did he serve them on? Club. On club. <laughs> so what did, what did he serve them? So, sorrow laughed. And Hashem is angry at Sarah laughed. Sarah never laughed. What are you angry at her? It's my dream. What are you angry at her? How did she get into the dream? So all this is all details that are seemingly shtus. They're all details that are that are similar to our dreams. That you don't find anywhere. You don't find that a from Hashem is going to be so elaborate and so detailed that the Torah goes into it and each thing is only important if it actually happens. But if it didn't actually happen, it's totally unimportant. If Sarah indeed laughed, then there's a criticism of Sarah, then it's important. But I dreamt that Sarah laughed, and therefore she's being criticized for it. And therefore it's going to be called Yitzchak. So what's going on over here? It's Chaloy Masasheker. So what's going on? Then came Boah, Chaloy Mazeb, Ravin, Chaloy Masasheker. Kimatayeles, Laharis, like calls it, what's the point of Hashem giving him a vision that contains so many of these details? V'chein Omar, with my number four, see that number, little number four there. We have a similar thing, says the Rambam. It says, Vayeovik Ishimo, that Yaakov struggled with this Malach, this Sar Shalesov. You can't fight with a Malach. Nothing here to fight with. Says the Rambam, again, it was only a vision that Yaakov never really physically fought the angel. It was all part of Amar. Shakol Mar and Nevoah. It's all Mar and Nevoah. Says the Ramban, Lo Yodati, Lo Mohoyot Soleil Yereka Bohokets. Yeah, very nice Mar. So next morning he's walking and limping. If he physically spent the night fighting, then already he's going to limp in the morning. But if he's having a Mar and Nevoah, so he suffers pain and we don't need to get Anosha to this day. Why? Because of Yaakov's limp. There's no limp. He was, he was never really physically affected. We're not going to eat to get a notion because of what happened in his dream and he woke up next morning and everything is fine. In your dream you have all kinds of things happening to you. You wake up next morning, everything is fine. So what's Yaakov doing limping as a result of a vision? So why is he limping? Furthermore, Yaakov, when he wakes up next morning, another wakes up, Yaakov refers to the place where all this happened as Peniel. Why? Because I just escaped with my life. 
I fought, I struggled, I almost didn't make it. Therefore he called it Daniel because I saw an angel and struggled with him and my soul was saved. Says the Ramban, that's also unprecedented. That a Navi has a Nevoa and he wakes up, wow, that was a close call. I had a Nevoa, I would have died. I mean, he's physically afraid of dying from Nevoa. You don't find that. If he actually fought the Malach, then already he fights the Malach and he almost didn't make it. It was a struggle. It was a real, it was a real struggle. So then he's going to wake up, uh, then he's going to wake up. Then he's going to come out of the struggle saying, I almost didn't make it. But he not till nafshi. But to say, Amaratzim says to the Rambam, occasionally see an angel, and they say, I saw an angel, I'm going to die. Manoyach, he thought that he's going to die because he saw, uh, he saw an angel. But a real Novi, Yaakov had other Nevoas, Avram and Yitzhak had other Nevoas, they never were scared that they are going to die. So why, if it was only a Mara Nevoa, does Yaakov wake up from a Nevoa saying, Oh, I, I better call this place Peniel because Vatinotzel Nafshi. Vatinotzel Nafshi. I had a Mara Nevoa. Hashem was showing me something in a vision. That's what I saw. I came out of my Nevoa. Not afraid of dying. Nevim aren't afraid of dying because of their Nevoa. In fact, Menoyach's wife tells him that. She says, hey, if Hashem wanted to kill us, He's not going to give us a Nevoa. He's not going to give us a, a, a Malach. It wasn't a real Nevoa. He wasn't going to give us a Malach. So what are you scared of? I mean, a true Navi understands this. Hashem's giving you a Nevoa. You're not going to wake up from the Nevoa being afraid to die. So if it really happened, then it makes sense. But if it didn't really happen, why was Yaakov afraid for his life? Goes on. Oh, what do you want to say, Miles? I should point out that if the Rambam says that Vayeovic Ishimo isn't literal, it was all part of Mara Nevoa, what's the clue? What's the clue to such a thing? Where do we find the introductory statement that tells you that, that what's going to happen is a Mara? We said over here, now whenever the Torah is going to tell us a whole long story according to the Rambam, the Rambam says that the Torah introduces it with a general statement followed then by the particulars. So the Rambam says there is such a general statement as well that fills us into particulars. What is that? It says before Vayishlach, the last Pesach in Vayete is very cryptic. It says, Vayakov holach udarko, after he left Boven, Vayifku vomalach elokim. And he bumped into angels. And Yaakov called it machanoim machanoim, is that because of malach? What's going on over there? Yaakov goes on his way and he sees malach. What's the purpose of these malachim? What is this meaning of malachim that Yaakov saw? Very cryptic statement. Says the Rambam again, it's an introductory statement. It's the opening statement to clue you in that what's going to subsequently happen is really only a vision. Therefore, and he meets the Sar Shalesov and he struggles with him. It all goes back to this introductory statement that Yaakov saw angels, and again, just like the Vayera, just like generality without detailing what the Nevoah is, Terence, what follows is the Nevoah, right? The Pasuk starts off with a generally in, a general introductory statement followed by the small particulars of the Mara itself. Vayera is an opening statement of introduction to Nevoah, to the Mara. Vayisa then continues the details of this particular Mara. Klau Uprat. Says the Rav, we are descending by Yaakov. The Klau is Yaakov Darko. Vayifkuvo Malach Elokim, 
That's the opening statement. That's the introduction. Yaakov's going on the road, and he bumps into angels. Now we're going to tell you the detail of what that meeting of the angels was. You know what it was? It was a struggle. It was a fight. So the Pasuk does introduce it with an introductory statement of a general nature, followed then by the detailed particulars of the Nebuah. So again, the Rambam fits in very well. He's not just arbitrarily saying, can't be, and therefore... He's not randomly taking psukim in the Torah that don't appeal to him, and therefore saying it's, it's not literal. That's what I'm saying. People take this Rambam, and they come to very, you know, clear <clears throat> conclusions from it. Oh, you don't like it, it's not literal. Whatever you don't like in the Torah, it's not literal. No, everything is literal. If you have determining proofs why it's not, and we know that not everything is literal, the question is where to stop. So the Rambam did go this far. The Rambam says he went too far. But we'll answer up the Rambam also. To say that Yaakov was afraid of meeting an angel, says the Rambam, and that's why he said, I escaped with my life. He had greater visions. He had visions in the beginning of Vayetze, where he sees the Sulam. Angels are going up and down, and God is standing over the Sulam. So he already had a vision of God himself. And he just wake up in the morning and say, wow. I'm lucky that I'm alive. Right? The Mara Hanavu that he had with the famous ladder was a Mara Hanavu that's much more significant and spiritual than the one that he fought with the angel. Yet he woke up in the morning and he didn't say, boy, am I lucky to be alive. He saw angels, he saw God, he saw everything in that vision. And he didn't say, I know, but if the fight was merely a vision, and that's the vision that they're showing him. He's not going to wake up in the morning and say, I'm lucky to be alive, that I didn't die. Why would he say that as a result of only a vision? The vision itself, the fact that he had a vision, isn't scary. The details of the vision anyway, it's like when you have a dream. You don't wake up in the morning and make for all eternity that this spot is the place where my life was saved. Vinay, a few, a few words after the number seven. Vinay lufi daitosos. Furthermore, another problem with the Rambam. Yitzhak loimar kein binyin loit. Now, what do we do about Lot? What happens with Lot and the angels? The story continues over here. Parshas Vayer is a very long story. New Rambam, what are you going to do with the rest of the story? According to the Rambam, Malochim never came to Lot's house, really. Lot never baked matzahs for them. They never ate. According to the Rambam, you're forced to conclude this is all Mara. Exactly whose dream is this over here at this point? Whose Mara are we dealing with? You can say, well, maybe Lot was worthy of having this vision of the angels. What about the rest of Sodom? They all came around banging on the doors. Did they also have a Mara in the Vua? Did they also know that there's angels there? Did the people of Sodom know that there are Angels, they have a Mara. Why were they trying to attack Lot, exactly? It says the people of Sodom came. People of Sodom are all physical people. And they all tried to kill Lot. Lot. Now, Lot had a Mara. So Lot has a Mara, and the people of Sodom want to kill him because of what? Because of the Mara? Why is it that the people of Lot, that Lot had to escape with his life, went to a cave? What? What's Lot escaping from? That the people of Sodom are out to kill him. But he never took any guests into his home. He only had a Mara. There was no real Hachmas' Orchim. So what's Lot scared of? 
What are the people of Saddam trying to kill him for if it never actually happened? It's the same as Yaakov Well, it's, it's the worst problem because we have Miles' parents on that. What incident is this? Lo, two angels, two out of three angels came to his house. And he also took them in. And he also gave them a banquet. And as a result, the people of Sodom came to kill Lot, right? I mean, I'm presuming you know the Parsha, right? The people of Lot, the Sodom came, and they said, why do you have guests there? Why are you taking guests? And they started banging down on his door. And the angels literally had to physically save his life. And he had to escape. So, what's the Mara here? Whose Mara is this? Lot having a Mara? So what are the people of Sodom trying to kill him about? And then he escapes and he offers them his daughters. What's going on over here? Whose Mara is all of this going on? Yeah. So are they also part of this? Nevi'im over here? What's going on here? So according to the Rambam, you have to be consistent and try to tell me where it starts and where it ends. So fine, you had a very, very good Vayero of Hashem, you saw the visions, but what happened afterwards? What happened? It says two of the Malachim went to Sodom. And what does it go on over there? It says, furthermore, Take your wife, escape. What happened? And then Lot begs him, please keep me going. The whole thing's a mara. Lot's life was never in danger. What happened? Lot stayed in Sodom the whole time. What happened? Therefore, concludes the Rambam of Yachshusheh, the Eilu Hadvarim says the Rambam, Rambam rather. These things that the Rambam learns, it contradicts the meaning of the Pasuk. It can't be. To say the Rambam's approach in general contradicts the meaning of the Pesukim. You not even listen to this. Certainly not, I believe it. The tarnished heron, says the Rambam. This is this word. Ramban's criticism of the Rambam is so very strong. He says, you're not allowed to listen to these kind of words. It's blasphemy. And you're certainly not allowed to believe what the Rambam says here. This is about as strong a criticism as he has of the, of the um, Rambam. Now, let's go back and try to answer some of these particular questions. Ramban pearls on the Rambam many, many questions. He starts off by asking, why do you call it a vision of Hashem if it's only a vision of angels. So why does it say Bayer of Hashem? What's the point of all the details in the vision? They're totally pointless. So why would you have so many particulars in a vision of the whole thing's a vision? It's not real. What's the point? It's all shtus. It's like having a dream that you dream at night, which is full of shtus. So you're gonna say Khashon that Amar and the Vua should be full of shtus. What's the point of all this? Thirdly, what happens with Yaakov? Why is he limping? Fourthly, why is Yaakov afraid for his life when his life was never in danger? Fifthly, what is the story of Lot with the Malachim? Who are the angels over there? What's the vision? Who's having the vision? What's happening to Lot? And all of these things never really happened. So what happened to the whole story of Lot escaping from Sodom? It wasn't a vision. Wasn't what happened? So the Rambam has the Ramban rather has six very 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 good questions on the Rambam. To answer some of them, let's look on the bottom. Shavel, those are the notes on the bottom, brings down from many Yishonim that attempted to explain the Rambam. 
primarily the Ridvo and the Abarbanel. Ridvo and the Abarbanel came to the Rambam's defense. And the Raubag, another place the lawyers bring it down. Let's start off from the Chaloimus HaSheker. It's underlined in the first column, Chaloimus HaSheker. Where he's asking if the whole thing was a vision, what are the details that we're dealing with over here all about? Ritvah. And others as well. So he says like this. We'll start the line after what's underlined the word Hashekah. In Prat HaNavuah, he reads HaMalochim, Masu Dushosu Dumar HaNavuah. So the question is, if the whole thing was a vision, so what's the point of the meal? What is the point of this vision? What benefit? What is the Nevuah trying to tell Avram that he's having? You know, your dreams are made up of, a, of an immense amount of detail that's trivial that you inject into it. So even if Hashem is trying to give you a true message in your dream, but the trivial detail is your own personal mind working things out. I mean, if Amar and Nevoah is targeted, Amar and Nevoah is Hashem gives you a vision, and what you get is the vision for a purpose. So that means Hashem is giving him a vision where he's giving a suda to the angels. So the Ramban's kasha is pointless. What's the point of showing him a vision where he's being machnas ayrach that he never was machnas ayrach? What's the point? So what's going on in this vision here? So he says, and also about the Sarah. So he says, v'im levasir is Sarah. If the point was, or the nevu was to tell Avram, you're going to have a child, the whole thing is unnecessary to tell, have a whole story just to tell him you're going to have a child. It's similar to the false dreams that come with many, many trivial details that are all unnecessary. And this cannot possibly be that a Nevoah should be like this. So he brings down here from the Barbanel. The purpose of all of this was was to explain to Avram that the reason why you're going to merit having children miraculously is because of your tremendous um, generosity to people. Furthermore, Hashem is telling Avram that's part of the parasha that I'm going to destroy Saddam. In fact, if you go through the parasha, there's certain things that point to the Rambam's approach. Because if actually these things physically happen, then it's hard to tell where the physical things end and the Nevoah again resumes and begins. But what do we have? We have here, Avram starts off, I mean, let, let's follow the, the, the parasha. Hashem appears to Avram. The Pasuk seamlessly then goes into and Avram sees angels over there, and he sees people coming to, and he asks them to join him for a meal. I mean, the, the transition between the vision and the physical is really a little difficult. He goes from a vision, and he all of a sudden sees people, and he offers them a meal. And in the middle of that meal, they're already telling him, they're already telling him that Sarah's going to have a child. And then Sarah laughs. And then the Pesach resumes where Hashem says, to Avram, why did Sarah laugh? Where did the physical end and the vision then resume? That Hashem now is communicating with him. And then it says that the people go from there straight to Sodom. 
right? They go to Sodom. And then it says, Hashem says to Avram, I can't keep from Avram that I plan on destroying Sodom. Let me tell them I'm going to destroy Sodom. And then it says, Avram davens to Hashem. Notice how the Pasuk is keeps alternating between actual physical things and communication with Hashem, talking and dialogue and even debate with Hashem. And then back to the story of Sodom. So the parasha keeps going in a kind of, a, you know, these are all abrupt transitions, but the Torah, the Psukim, don't let you in on that. They just seamlessly go from, from a vision to a meal of angels to Hashem rebuking Avram for Sarah to the angels going to, to Sodom to Hashem telling Avram about Sodom to Avram davening to, it's all occurring one thing is just leading into the other says the Abar Benel, according to the Ram, Rambam the whole thing makes a great deal of sense because we're talking about a vision the Rambam's conscious to why so many details that's precisely the point Hashem is trying to contrast to Avram saying you Avram are going to be great and I'm going to give you children and you're going to be the founder of a nation and Sodom is going to be destroyed. Why? Because this, this epitomizes Avram. What epitomizes Avram is that you could be sick, and you could be old, and it could be hot, but you're willing to treat everybody as a guest in your home. So it wasn't something false. It was something very true. It was the embodiment of all of Avram's life. Hashem is showing Avram in the vision, this is you, Avram. This is what you're all about. You're about giving people that you're willing to run and bring them in. This is Avram. This is the true Avram. Therefore, I'm giving you now a Nebuah. You're going to have a child. Notice that it fits much better if it's a Nebuah than if it just happened to coincidentally occurred. Three angels come. Coincidentally, Avram gives them a meal as Machmas And they then say, by the way, you're going to have a child. You know, it fits in very nicely, but it's very coincidental. If it's part of a Nebuah, that's the point of the Nebuah. The point of the Nebu is not to give him trivial details that never happened, but this epitomizes and embodies what the essence of Avram's life is all about. And therefore, you are now getting the Nebu, you're going to have a child. So the Rambam makes a great deal of sense then. That as a Nebu, you have an introductory phrase, it then tells you what the vision is, and because the vision has so many little details to it, therefore it needs the introduction, and the details are all important, because each detail tells us about Avram's greatness, and therefore, Avram is now being given. He's being given the prophecy that you're going to have a child as a reward for all of these things, for his behavior, which is the pattern of his entire life. Contrast that, though, with Sadaim. Let's go weiter. Why, so that, me, why is it we have to come to this point? Why couldn't I go there? Now the Pesach goes on to explain why is it that Hashem revealed him that he's going to destroy Sodom. Because Avram was kind and generous. He was an Av Hamoin Goyim to everybody. So since Avram was a father in the sense of all mankind, and therefore he treated even three Arabs equally, and he treated them with such tremendous kindness and generosity, and therefore Hashem now tells Avram, I'm going to inform you of the fact that the people of Sodom, I'm going to destroy them to give you an opportunity to pray and to daven on their behalf. To daven on their behalf. Therefore, he was made known of the Tsar that was about to come upon Sodom. In came like this, It's true, Sarah never baked the cake. 
but it was still needed to tell you the details. And it wasn't like a false dream, but just the opposite. A nevuah is a kind of a vision where you see reality even stronger than physical reality. What happens in nevuah is so clear that it's even clearer than what happens in real life. If Hashem defines this is what you are, it's much better than a mere story that may or may not be a true definition of what your life is. Amar and Nevu is more choshev and more true than a real story that occurs. And yes, therefore in the Marah and Avram is running to the angels and starts baking the cakes and he's doing all this. That's true, that's reality. It's a greater reality than merely, you know, like I said earlier, we talked about the camera eye versus the real eye. What do you mean by that statement? That's true, that's reality. Feels like it farther than or it is. No, no. It's, it's a greater truth. It is a greater truth. It's like saying that when you talk about a camera's eye, if you live in the world of the camera, then all you know about is I got a 35 millimeter lens and you got this. The cameras themselves think of an eye as being a camera's eye. We know that a camera's eye is only a pale comparison to the real eye of the human being. But you know what? Maybe there's even a greater eye that's even more real than our eyes. A spiritual eye, so to speak. Yeah, Avraham Avinu did and everything else. But just like we find by the concept of an Nisoyim, when things happen to you and you're able to shine forth and your inner qualities come out into the open, that's really you. You know, some people go through all of life and they only have one episode in their life when they're able to say, this is what you really are. This is when you're able to see what the person was. You're not given opportunities other times. The fact is that maybe there weren't three people walking around for Avram to do this. And maybe sometimes you would do Hachmas Orchem, but all of a sudden you fell and you tripped or you fell asleep or something like that. But you know, if the circumstances are right in the ideal form, you would be willing to run in the heat and the this and the that, and all of these things are true. <coughs> so therefore, what comes in the Mara and the Vua is much more clear and much more real than what we see in our physical world that we think is real. There are realities that are even more real than our world. Even though it doesn't happen. It does happen on a different dimension. It's there. I mean, Who we, says we it's we not there? It we don't see it in this physical world, but yeah. so what? It's more real. And each thing had a message to Avram. You're an Av Hamon Goyim. You are a leader of men. And you treat everybody kindly. You deserve to be the founder of a nation. And therefore you're being given the Nevoah that you're going to have a child. Because this is the kind of person that you actually are. That this is the way you treat three guests. This is your reality. And therefore, because you're an Av Hamon Goyim, it immediately says in the next parsha. Hashem says, therefore, I can't keep from you that I'm planning on destroying Saddam. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to fight and to argue on behalf of Saddam. And then I'm going to take it a step further. Part of your vision is going to see, see the contrast between your Hachmas and how the people of Saddam are so wicked. Because notice that in, what was Avram asking for Saddam? Avram was like, Hashem, maybe there's someone in Saddam that's righteous enough to save all of Saddam. That's what Avram was saying. Maybe there's 10 people that are righteous. And on their account, Saddam could be redeemed. And Hashem says, no, they're all Rishoyim. Isn't it coincidental that the actual story would have then happened that the Malachim came and both was this and all the people wanted the story? It's almost too good to be true. 
that it actually happened the way it happened. You know, people are busy watching television. Yeah, of course they're willing to kill Avraham, but maybe they're watching television at the time. <clears throat> what happened is, this is all part of the same vision of being shown to Avraham. Avraham is davening on behalf of Sodom, saying Sodom should be uh, saved. And Hashem saying, no, Sodom is so wicked, it can't be saved. All of a sudden, it leads into the next story of how every single person in Sodom is ready to break down the doors of Lot's house and kill Lot because he showed some kindness to somebody. And what does this show? Your nephew Lot is the only exception, and he's going to be saved because he deserves to be saved. So therefore, it didn't have to happen that the Malachim came to Lot, but as part of an unfolding of the whole vision, it makes a great deal of sense. You're kind of, how do we know that it wasn't real? Well, what's wrong with Pashat Shah? But the caches that the Ramban is asking, what's the point of the story? What's happening over here? According to the Ramban, it all fits in very nicely. There is an introductory phrase, Hashem's giving him a vision, and he wants to show him why he's going to have children. And he shows him his kindness. He shows him why he's going to destroy Sodom. He gives Avram an opportunity to daven on behalf of Sodom. Avram takes the opportunity, davens for Sodom. Hashem says, no, they're so wicked, they don't deserve to be, they, they don't deserve to be saved, except for your nephew. And I'll show you exactly the difference. Contrast the kindness of Avram to the wickedness of Sodom. How Avram is kind to all the strangers. And how Sodom wants to beat up every stranger and kill them. And, in a small sense, your nephew Lot has a little bit of your kindness. We have another episode of Hachlas Sarkham here. We have Avram's great Hachlas Sarkham. And we have Lot's Hachlas Sarkham as well. Because he's your nephew. He's your brother-in-law. He's your relative. From you he got and therefore he deserves to be saved. You, Avram, are a machnus aruch par excellence. And Lot is a little bit like you. And he's living in a wicked city like Sodom. That's the opposite of you. And therefore, you, Avram, are going to be the father of a nation. And I'm giving you the opportunity to daven for Sodom. But I'm showing you their wickedness. And in their wickedness, you'll see why they deserve to be destroyed. Why you deserve to be the father of a nation. And why Lot deserves to be saved by the skin of his teeth. Because of what he got from you. Therefore, all of these things are all necessary parts of this vision. So therefore, the Ritvoi says, explains that we find in general other nevuos that were given to different Nevi'im that were given in the form of a mushal. And the point of the mushal, of the metaphor, was to convey ideas by way of a mushal. A mushal is to clarify ideas and concepts. So we find other nevuos that come about by way of parable, by way of metaphor, in order that the Navi should understand from the parable the actual concept that's being conveyed. So, this is no different, says the Ritva. This is no different. That This is another example of a mushroom that's coming to teach us a very important lesson. If they're not coming pointlessly, each one conveys something else. Therefore, he says that the way of the Marinavuchim, of the Rambam, makes a great deal of sense. Now, it goes on like this. Let's just take a look at the next column. I guess we'll have to stop with this. The, um, why did Yaakov, uh, we'll just do the next column. So the Rambam says that a Nabi is never afraid of his Nebuah to think of his fear of death. So why does he say that Yaakov was afraid? Why did Yaakov say my life was saved? Because he understood the message of the Nebuah. Again, it's a parable. But it's a message, and a very powerful one. And Yaakov understood the message of that, that I escaped in my Nebuah within an inch of my life. 
I have to struggle and fight, and it's a message for the future, that the Jewish people are going to just by their skin of their teeth make it. We're going to make it, and we're going to come through limping. That's really the message. The message of whatever happened to Yaakov happened to his, to his descendants. And yeah, we're going to make it. We're going to make it limping. We're not going to come to Eretz Yisrael and to Mashiach home. We're going to come there limping. We're going to suffer tremendous losses, physically, materially, spiritually. We're going to suffer tremendous losses. We're going to come back to Eretz Yisrael and Mashiach, but we're going to be there limping. We're going to just make it. So Yaakov Avinu goes, phew, that was a close call. And therefore he calls it Peniel. Says that Barbanel, four lines. The pachad wasn't the fact that he had nevuah. The pachad was from the message of the nevuah, which was there's going to be a battle with Esau. Vilachem, therefore, by the other Mars, it doesn't say he was afraid because he didn't see battle in any other in any other mar. The other Mars saw a ladder and he saw this and he saw that and he saw sheep. Yaakov had many visions of Hashem. But none of them were fearful and frightful because none of them were supposed to be fearful and frightful. He didn't see any Muhammad in them. He saw Muhammad in this. As a result of the Muhammad that he saw in this, that's why he was afraid. As a result, why was he limping in the morning? He says, because we know, as Miles already just said earlier, Shevar of Your physical things are affected by what your visions are. So if you're having a dream, it could affect you physically. The Shoevorm Hagashmiim Nishboimakis Hanafshiim. The Avorm Hagashmiim. Your physical limbs do get influenced by your spiritual by your spiritual things. In fact, um, the, the Rabak takes a step further. He says, listen, people could could dream. And a dream is not the same as we said earlier, it's not as clear a reality as a vision. And as he says, doctors have already noticed this phenomenon that the things that happen in your in your dreams actually can can affect you physically. It does it two ways. First of all, because of the psychosemantic aspect, but also very often in the dream, you can physically wrench yourself. So if Yaakov was having a vision that was actually real enough, he in reality went through the phases of the struggle. And therefore he'll wrench himself in his physical struggle, in his dream, and he'll therefore be limping. Certainly, what we said earlier from the Rambam, that a vision is much more than a dream. A prophetic vision is more real than a dream. So certainly it's going to have an influence on your physical body. Again, not every vision affects your body. But Yaakov Avinu had this fearful, frightful vision of a battle with the Sar Shalesov. And as we said earlier, it's a vision that's more real than reality. So Yaakov came up scared. He came out of it sweating. He says, I escaped within an inch of my life. And yes, he was limping as a result of that. Because he's in a greater reality. Why shouldn't he live from such a greater reality? People could live from a dream, certainly from a prophetic vision. And therefore he called it Peniel, because I just escaped with my life. And I know the message from this. You know what the message from this is? It's a prophetic insight to the future. And that's why we don't need Kiranosha to this day. It wasn't just he had a dream and he pulled pulled a nerve, and therefore forever and ever we're not gonna eat Kiranosha. That's ridiculous. The guy has a dream and I he comes out, he wakes up in the morning with a little bit of a limp. From now on, for all eternity, Klaus Yisrael is not going to eat There's only three mitzvahs. Only three mitzvahs in all Chomish Mereshes. And each mitzvah deals with generations, with future. What are the three mitzvahs? Pru or vu. Have children. Future. Generations. 
bris milah, the covenant with God of the Jewish people, and Gidon Moshe. What's Gidon Moshe? What's Gidon? who? The world depends on Pruer who? Bris milah, Gidon Moshe, and only the result of a dream. So you Ramban, if you say it physically happens, that's better, because he fought with. It's all because of the vision anyway. What's the difference if it happened as a result of fighting with an angel that looked like a person or being given a mara and nevuah which is stronger and more choshev than reality and the message is being given. You are going to come to Mashiach limping. That's how you're going to get there. You're not going to make it whole. You're going to come there limping. That's scary. That's frightening. Yaakov Avinu was given a vision that the Jews are going to make it, but barely. And he came out of it physically limping, which makes a great deal of sense. Firstly, it's psychosomatic. Secondly, what happens in, in, in the thing affects your physical well-being. Thirdly, maybe he was actually physically wrenching himself as it's happening. Fourthly, Amara Navu is a greater reality than, than mere dreams. So if it could happen in a psychosomatic vision, in a psychosomatic dream, or rather you have a psychosomatic effect, certainly could happen as a result of a vision. Certainly if he was actually physically wrenching himself, but there's a message in it. The message is you're not coming out whole, and you represent Klalisrol. Yaakov Avinu represents the wandering Jew in Golos, right? Avram represents the first, Yitzhak the second. Yaakov represents our Golos. And in our Golos, it's a very frightening Golos. Yaakov represents the third Golos, the Golos Aesop, where we go through what? Where we go through all of the things that are going to happen to us. The wandering Jew, Vayetze Yaakov Niver Sheva. And he goes to Lovon, and he goes to Mitzrayim, and he meets Aesop, and he goes through many, many events, Shechem. All of these things are befalling Yaakov. The longer goes. That's our goals. And how's Yaakov going to come out of it? Yaakov comes showing. He makes it okay. But he came out of it limping. He barely escaped. It's a frightful goals. So Yaakov is scared. Peniel, he calls it because he was Tzaleah. But it's a message to us. That's the point of the vision. That's why he's limping. Because we're going to be limping. So of course it's not a problem. Therefore he says, but concludes the Ritvo, interestingly enough, after, after this, he says that it's true that the Ramban on the other hand his version of everything is really the straight path and you shouldn't veer from the path of the Ramban but I had mercy on the Mar and the Vuchim because everything that the Rambam says is L'shem Shemaim so I have to explain the Rambam's opinion because when you first learn the Ramban the Rambam seems so way out and it makes no sense it says that well, the Ramban is right Pshat, that's what you gotta learn like the Ramban, like the Ramban. But I had, I had compassion on the Rambam that he had to be explained, so I have to explain the Rambam. One more point that we'll do and then we'll stop. So what about the Lot episode? How do we understand the Lot episode? He explains the Barbanel that according to the Rambam, this was Lot's vision. Lot wasn't a Novi on caliber with Avram. Merely this was part of the Nevoah that was given originally to Avram. Avram was given the Nevoah by Yehoel of Elohim Mamre where so much is now going to be told to Avram. Namely, you're going to be a father of a nation. Why? You know, having a Yitzchak. Being a father of a nation is not a Pashat thing. And I have to explain to you why. And you're an Avhamon Goyim of the entire world. And I'm going to destroy Sodom. Five cities are going to be destroyed. Why? And your nephew is going to have to be miraculously saved. Why? Why is all this happening? So Hashem has to show him all this why. And the Mara Nebuah was, we saw the first part, you're a beneficent person and you're magnanimous and you're generous and you're benevolent therefore you deserve to be the father of a nation 
you are the one that deserves to, to, to daven on behalf of Sodom. And Sodom is so wicked. And your nephew Lot is going to be explained. This is all, as we say, this is all part of the Nevoah to Avram, that Avram sees the vision of the Malachim leaving him. It's not it's much better. Avram Avinu has the vision. The Malachim came to him. Now he sees a continuation of the vision that the Malachim left him from his great Hachmasus Archim to Sodom. That's the pits. That's the opposite. They leave him and they go to Sodom and over there they save Lot. So Lot was saved from the destruction of Sodom. The details of how Lot was saved from the destruction of Sodom is unclear according to the Rambam. It wasn't. The vision was just showing Avram what's going to happen to Sodom and why Lot is going to be saved and not his wife. So Lot was saved. But Avram is being told why you're being saved. And the Pesach then concludes, after this whole episode, the Torah actually concludes by giving a kind of a synopsis of everything. We said that it starts off with an introductory thing because it's not literal. It didn't really happen. It's all part of the Mara and the Vua. But then, to synopsize what actually did happen, what the reality was, it ends off by saying, the, um, it ends off by saying that uh, the Pasuk in conclusion synopsizes all of it. By Yash came Avram Baboker. Avram gets up in the morning where he saw previously Hashem the vision. That's very clear. By Yash came Avram Baboker, he gets up. And he goes back to the place that he stood there previously to, to commune with Hashem. He now looks towards Sodom and Amora. This is all real physical. He sees the entire plane. And he sees the destruction of Sodom. Smoke is rising. And then the Pasuk again reviews it. And it was when Hashem decided to destroy the, the cities of the plain. Hashem had mercy. Hashem remembered Avram's greatness and kindness. And he sent Lot out from the overturning of Sodom. When the cities were overturned. What does that mean? We just kept on saying exactly what happened. What does it mean Hashem sent Lot out? Teretz is because the rest wasn't part of the vision. Now it's saying, in conclusion, Avram gets up. He sees the result of all the episode that it didn't work. Hashem decided to destroy Sodom. But Hashem in the merit of Avram, which is what he saw previously in his vision, that was in his merit, decides to save Lot and sends Lot out of the Mahpecha. He sends Lot out. How did he send him out? Irrelevant exactly how Lot was. Lot was called away to a meeting. Lot decided, you know what, let's go on a field trip. He goes on a field trip and he turns around and he sees that it's all over. Boy, am I lucky that I left Sodom when I left Sodom. Hashem put into his heart to leave Sodom. It's ir- irrelevant, the details of how Lot actually left Sodom, physically. He left Sodom. It then continues. The next part of it is not a vision anymore. That's why I have to interrupt it again. Because the next part is how Lot had relations with his, with his daughters. In fact, I think it fits much better with, with, uh, with this Rambam. Why? Because one of the things that was always troubling me was Lot had this whole vision or Lot met these angels, and he dialogued with them. And he said, stay here, this. Finally, tell me, you know, we're destroying Sodom and Amora. You got to escape. So they grab his hands and they pull him out. They told him exactly what's going to happen. His wife then turns to Saul, and Lot says, please do me a favor and let me make it to Tzohar. He says, no problem, you go to Tzohar. All of a sudden, he gets to Tzohar, and he's there, and he says, you know, maybe this is also going to be destroyed. Let's go hide out in the cave. Why was he so scared? 
I mean, he knows exactly what happened because the angels told him everything. Sodom is wicked, they're going to be destroyed, and you could go there, rest assured, no problem. But if you say that Lot himself wasn't 100% knowing what was happening, this is all part of Avram, so Lot was rather confused. Hashem puts into his heart that Lot says to his wife and kids, you know, let's, let's go on a field trip to, uh, to Tzohar, to on a picnic. Beautiful day, let's go on a field trip. You got to Mishigas, let's go. And his daughters and daughter-in-law, they said, nah, Dad, we don't want to go, you got to Mishigas, right? Two of them refused. So two daughters say, well, yeah, let's go on a field trip on a picnic. I'm just conjecturing. And his son-in-laws and those daughters say, we're not going. Pop, we're staying behind. And he goes, and his wife finds it hard to leave Sodom. All of a sudden, they go out, and just when they're in the outskirts of town, boom, it explodes. And salt comes down, whatever, the whole thing becomes the Yamamelech. And he turns around and he sees that all the devastation and his wife and his daughters, his other daughters are lost and he's there with his two daughters. Boy, are we lucky. So he goes to Tsar, he makes it to Tsar, and he looks around, boy, we're lucky. What's going on? Who knows? Maybe the whole world's being destroyed. He goes up to the caves to live in the caves because he's afraid of what's happening. And his daughters say, I mean, the world is mobbling. There was no vision over here. There was, they, were, they didn't have an interplay with the angels. It was all part of Avram. So therefore now the Torah synopsizes it by saying Avram woke up and he sees that Sodom is destroyed. But when Hashem destroyed Sodom, he made sure to send Lot out in the merit of Avram. Now the Pasuk resumes the story. So Lot goes up to Tsar, from Tsar and he goes, etc. into a cave. So according to the Rambam, the Pasuk can fit in very nicely. So this is all part of Avram's vision as to why Lot is being saved and why Sodom is so wicked. Otherwise, the whole story is so coincidental that it just happens to be that Avram was beneficent to angels, to the right angels, the ones that are giving him the divorce. I mean, he picked really the, the right guys to be nice to. And it just happens to be that Hashem says to Avram, you know, if you want to talk about Sodom, and, Hashem, and Avram says, is Sodom truly that wicked? And she says, yeah, Sodom is truly that wicked. And it just happens to be that these angels now go to Sodom, and Lot, coincidentally enough, was smart enough to be machlis Eirech to them as well. And the people of Sodom had nothing better to do that night. They all found out about it. They weren't watching television. They weren't in a ball game. They all decided to converge on Lot's house to kill these people. That's how wicked they are. And now the angels tell Lot, you're a good guy, you're lucky, you're out of here. I mean, there's a lot of stories happening that are very, very coincidental. As part of Amar Nebuah, it conveys an idea. It conveys the message that it's, that it's meant to convey. That the people of Sodom, the Pasuk says, the people of Sodom were very exceedingly wicked. So therefore, it says the Malachim came to Sodom because the Pasuk said right before that, that the people of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. Now it's going to demonstrate, again, that's an introductory phrase, that the people of Sodom were very wicked. Now it's going to tell us the particulars and the details, again, in this vision of showing how wicked they actually were and why Lot's being saved. Lot took Malachim to his house to show that this Anshay Sodom were roim and deserved destruction. And Lot was a tzaddik and deserved to be saved from this calamity. So it's all part of the Mara that begins with Bayeril of Hashem. And it all concludes with when his wife dies as well. And therefore, the merit of Avram saved Lot and the wickedness of Sodom caused their destruction. How Lot was actually saved, the Torah doesn't tell us why Hashem sent him out. That's how they explain the Rambam.